We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, Yankee fans? Happy Monday. The Yankees are rolling. It was a big weekend for baseball with Hall of Fame inductions and everything. And it was a big weekend for Scott because he got a new puppy, Mattingly. How's it going? Good, man. I uh, I just got back. I was on a family vacation down in Orlando, Florida. My wife, um, she won a Teacher of the Year award in our town. And uh, one of the guys actually is a, a business owner around here, has a, a house in Florida. And he gave it to her for the win. He gives it to the Teacher of the Year every year for a week so we actually had a free house in Orlando which was awesome um, and then my ha- my family was able to come down and we had uh, just you know a week-long uh, family vacation which was cool took the uh, nieces to Disney World which was a disaster Disney World is like hell on earth I think for adults <laughs> but yeah. the kids love it because like all the characters it's fun and great but it's not as uh, it's not as cool as I remember it to be when I was a child you could not pay me to go to Disney World Dude, I tell you, it was 95 degrees. Um, we got there really early, so we didn't have to wait on many lines. Uh, but, man, it was it was crazy. And, you know, it's like Space Mountain and some of these other ones, they're just not as big as I remember. Because <laughs> I was obviously miniature size when I was there. So um, I'm going, I'm like, man, this is Space Mountain? Did you uh, hit up Orlando, or not Orlando, uh, Universal Studios as well? That's the, We did not do Universal. Uh, we did or the reason we went to Disney on the first day really was just so that we could be with my our, my nieces, you know, because they were I, I wanted to be there and see the reactions and just for that memory. Um, but yeah, no. So that kind of t- 
turned me off to everything <laughs> as far as like waiting in lines and being out in the heat. So no, we did not do uh, Universal. Well then, I'm not. There goes my joke because Universal Studios was like half of the Sharknado three movie. So I don't know if you. I don't know if you caught that. I, I knew that it was out there, and I heard it doubled the uh, the Sharknado one um, viewers. So they're going to make a fourth one, I'm sure, and it's probably going to go up to like ten or eleven. They left the third one open, so Tara Reid is either dead. Spoiler alert, everyone! Spoiler alert: Tara Reid is either dead or alive, and they're going to take votes on Twitter for the fourth movie. That's funny. They really hit a they hit, they hit that one pretty hard. It's insane. But, um, yeah, so on the way back, we were there for a week, uh, did a whole bunch of cool stuff. We went to Cape Canaveral, saw the rocket go up. That was awesome. Delta Four, which is putting up, like, uh, putting up military comms uh, for communications for those guys over in the Middle East. Um, and what else did we do? Saw some uh, alligators. We did, like, an airboat uh, thing in the swamp, so that was cool. And then, yeah, my wife and I, we, we did a road, we road trip so we could check out some cities along the way. And um, on the way back, we picked up a new puppy. And I'll put some pictures up uh, for you guys to see as well. But the puppy's name is Mattingly. And uh, for short, we're calling her Maddie. So my, my nickname is Maddie Baseball. Um, obviously for Mr. Don Mattingly, who's one of my favorite players when I grew up. So, so yeah, we're, uh, we're excited to get a new puppy. She's uh, My wife's right, entertaining her right now so she's not crying. <laughs> day one. This is day one away from her, uh, her mother and the litter and all that. So Mattingly is a real strong puppy name. Yeah, I thought so too. We were going to call her – we were actually going to call her Boss. That was like the first one. It was because we're both huge Springsteen fans and then obviously Steinbrenner. But it, I don't know. It just didn't roll off the tongue. Also Boss for, for – uh, you said it's a girl puppy, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's not – can't really swing that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't even like do gender the, – the dog to me is a dog. Like I know it's boy or girl, but like even names I don't think have to be um, gender specific. Like Mattingly – I guess Maddie makes it more of a girl's name. That's kind of what won it for – that's how I actually got the name, I think. That's what kind of sold the deal was me saying what, to my wife, well, hey, we can call her Maddie, and it's, and it's real feminine. So there you go. So but no, we're pumped up. Did you catch any of the Hall of Fame inductions today? Well, we're recording on Sunday. Um, this will come out on Monday. But uh, So Sunday, Randy Johnson, Pedro Martinez, John Smoltz, and Craig Vigio were all inducted into the Hall of Fame. And those are – Four guys right there that are right in the 90s and 2000s time. I bet a lot of people listening to this podcast grew up watching some of those guys. Um, so did you get uh, to see any of that today? No, unfortunately, I was driving yesterday and today, so I, I'm, I missed pretty much every sporting event uh, yesterday and today. But um, I, have, I have some good friends who, are, um, who own the site Dugout Legends. So a lot of people, I'm sure, follow them. Um, on Twitter, if you don't, definitely definitely check them out. They do a lot of really cool baseball history stuff. But they're they're actually going to be, or they were at the Hall of Fame induction, um, and hopefully I'll be joining them at some point soon too. But they, I'm going to have them uh, give a, a good recap, and hopefully uh, we can get that on the site too. So I'll hear all about it, and uh, I know we're going to talk about some of these guys too. They were definitely in the in that zone, you know, when we were growing up and seeing them pitch was uh, was definitely part of the child our childhood. Yeah, any of these guys you have an issue with, like making it into the Hall of Fame? So, like, I have a, I have a rule of thumb, I guess, for the Hall of Fame, and it's just my eye test. Like, I, I want them to be to, in my in my head and my brain, like one of the most dominant players of their era. To me, that's what makes a Hall of Famer. You know, the Hall of Fame is not for just very good players; it should be for the greatest players. And um, Randy Johnson, Pedro, and Smoltz, I have no issues with. I think all of those guys were, were dominant at one point in their career and extending uh, 
points in their career. Biggio is the guy that I'm, I'm just, you know, I, I don't think he's a Hall of Famer personally. And um, I, he just, he, he played for a long time, but he just never really stood out to me. I'm totally with you. Um, with all the steroid stuff, you can't go purely on stats anymore. You got to go on eye test. And if a guy's standing out and dominating the game, then I think he needs to be in the Hall of Fame. Craig Biggio never dominated the game for me. Right. He, he he hung around for 20 years to get his 3,000 hits. And I understand his stats, you know, overall, he, he had a lot of hits and a lot of doubles. Um, and that's great and everything. But when, when you talk about a guy in the Hall of Fame, uh, he only had one 200-hit season. And he's a 280 career hitter. I mean, that's a very good player. That's not a Hall of Fame player. Uh, you look at guys like who are, um, uh, you know, didn't make the cut this year or the last couple years, like Mike Piazza. Mike Piazza might be the best hitting catcher of all time. He right. needs to be in the Hall of Fame. He dominated for 10 years uh, of hitting catchers. Uh, and you're telling me Craig Biggio is going to make it over him? It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, and, you know, there's that cloud, I think, because Piazza's name has has been somewhere along the lines. I can't even remember where these guys' names were coming from or when they surfaced. But there was definitely a cloud for Piazza on the steroid um, conversation. So that very well could play into a, a, you know, a big reason why he's not there. But I agree with you. I think he was a, he was a dominant player um, in his era. He was never really, like, really had a significant tie um, to the steroids. So he's not one of the steroid guys that everybody knows. So there's no reason I don't think he should be in. And I agree with you as far as Biggio, too, man. It's just, I don't know. He just doesn't, he doesn't do it for me. He doesn't pass the eye test. And uh, I agree. I think it's a, that's a big thing you need to, to look at these days. One person passed the eye test, but maybe not when he was with the Yankees, was the big unit, Randy Johnson. And I think, I don't know if you're like me, but those two years when he was with the Yankees, 2005 and 2006, were some of the most frustrating seasons to be a Yankees fan uh, in my entire life. Why was it frustrating for you? Well, because they were just coming off of the 4 debacle, and right. they were a good team. But they were mostly offense. They would get to the playoffs, and then they would, you know, crap down the leg of their pants, and they would end up one and done in the playoffs. And Randy Johnson had a 4.37 ERA in two seasons with the Yankees. He was brought in to be the ace the year before in uh, Arizona, and I understand it's the National League, but he was friggin' lights out, like 18 wins, you know, th- sub three ERA or something crazy. And he comes. How over old was he was when he was on the Yankees? I mean, was he's he at the end of his career. Late 30s? Yeah. Uh, I'll look it up. But, uh, I mean, yeah, he was old, but, I mean, he was good the year before. So, I mean, there's no reason. He was 41. Wow, I didn't realize he was Well, oh, he was 41, yeah. He had a 2-6 ERA, though, uh, for Arizona the season before. Yeah, and, you know, maybe that, that was a – because in the 2005-2006, in the, you know, mid-2000s, to me there was a big difference uh, with – uh, the offense from the National League to the American League uh, during that time frame too. So I mean that could have played into it. You know the um, he knew a lot of the batters well. So I don't know. He yeah he didn't do well, but he, 41 years old. I think at some point when you hit that age, when you're in their 40s, it, you just fall off a cliff. Like there's no in between. There's no I'm okay. It's just that you're done and you realize you're done. Yeah, I mean he did pitch a lot of innings, over 200 innings both of the seasons. So yeah. he he wasn't a bad pitcher necessarily, and he won 17 games both seasons. Um, so I'm, I'm not trying to say he was it was lousy, but he he was not what he was brought in to do. And then his two starts in the playoffs, he gave up a total of 10 earned runs in those two starts, and the Yankees lost both those games. So in my mind, he was he didn't accomplish what he was brought in to do. 
But he did enough uh, in his career as the big unit to, oh, to make a, he's a surefire, no doubter. I mean, right? 97% on the ballot. Like, I'm not saying he shouldn't be on the on in the Hall of Fame. I'm just saying, you know, as a Yankees fan, I don't have the best memories of Randy Johnson. And then you'll also remember 95 when he beat the Yankees. Right. Uh, coming out of the pen for the Mariners and also coming out of the pen in 2001 for Arizona. Saying, it was 2001 it was, the, was, the, was the backbreaker. So he, he really just killed the Yankees even when he was on the team. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Randy. Appreciate that. Have fun with your with your uh, Hall of Fame. All right, next guy I want to talk about is Pedro. And, uh, I mean, Pedro is the Sandy Koufax of the 90s and 2000s. Just unreal, unreal stuff, unreal five, six-year run from Pedro. And I loved when Pedro was pitching because it was three and a half hours when the Yankees were going up against him of just intensity you knew it was going to be a great game. You knew you were going to either be, you know, on the top of the world uh, if the Yankees won, or you're going to be pissed off and, and you know felt like crap for the next 24 hours if if Pedro beat the Yankees. It's just we're never going to see anything like that rivalry again, I don't think. And Pedro was really the center of it for the Red Sox. He was. I mean, that was when the the rivalry in my lifetime was at its was at its peak, no doubt. And and Pedro was you know was enemy uh, of the state number one uh, for the Yankees and Yankee fans. So yeah, it was always it was always uh, you know you hated him, but you you loved to hate him because you you enjoyed watching the games. And I think it did bring out the best competition of on both teams when when he was on the bump. So you want to hear some fun Pedro stats? Yeah, let's hear him. So career versus the Yankees, he was eleven and eleven, five hundred pitcher. And you can say, okay, you know, there's a lot of starts. The Yankees were a great team, also. So you know, he's five hundred pitcher. He always had a good ERA. So I looked into it a little bit more, and the Yankees, when Pedro started a game for the Red Sox, the Yankees were seventeen and ten against the Red Sox. That's a six thirty winning percentage. Who's your daddy? It's really insane yeah. that they could beat a pitcher of that caliber 63% of the time. I mean, he was winning at a 680 or even better during that era, you know, 700 win percentage during that time. And when he was going up against the Yankees, the Red Sox lost most of their games. Yeah, if you had asked me blind about that question, there's, I would have probably gone the other way. Just just thinking back and just to remember what kind of a pitcher he was. So they, that's, a, that's kind of an eye-popping stat. Uh, and it's because, you know, he would pitch well. He would go out and give – they would always, you know, run his pitch count out. He's He'd go out six, seven innings of, you know, two-run ball. But the Yankees always had someone on the other side. If it was Clemens or David Wells or Andy Pettit or, or somebody to step up and, and match Pedro pitch for pitch. And then, obviously, the Yankees' bullpen was, was lights out. Yeah, we'd, we'd attack and, and get the best of the Civil War vet, Alan Embry. <laughs> <laughs> And, he always uh, looked like a Civil War guy to me with his like goatee, and he always had a big chew in the in the cheek. And El Guapo, yeah, El Guapo. <laughs> I can't even remember his actual name. Uh, and then the last guy is Smoltz, who again one of the best probably pitchers of of the '90s. 200 wins, 150 saves, which is just unreal when you think about it. So, I guess uh, three very deserving candidates, and then Biggio borderline. And Biggio, what? This was his third ballot too. So. Yeah, that's another thing. Like, if you're not getting on the first, you're not getting on the second. Like, what's different now that you're getting on the third? I mean, did your did your career get better? I, I just don't. I never really understood that, especially for a guy like that. Um, I don't know. See, so he 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 just needed some campaigning or you yeah, know, some, some other. Depending on the 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 size or the the strength of the ballot, you know, it's just it just that also just kind of leads to the to the fact that he really shouldn't be there. 
the baseball Hall of Fame voting has always been weird to me with the way they do these. Oh, he's first of all, the fact that no one's ever made it 100 percent is stupid. And then also like, oh, he's not a first ballot Hall of Famer, but he's a second ballot Hall of Famer. It's like he's either a Hall of Famer or not. Yeah. Cut, cut this bullshit and just let the great guys in and keep the the borderline guys out. All right. This is the trade deadline coming up, so there's going to be a lot of news over the next week. And uh, Scott and I have talked about possibly doing a trade deadline podcast, um, you know, specifically just talking about all that news. So uh, we might be, uh, you might be getting that later in the week. But so far, there's been a couple trades, uh, and a couple guys the Yankees have had their, um, at least been linked to, in Casimir, who was traded to Houston, and Johnny Cueto traded to Kansas City. Were you sort of upset to see any of those guys go to those teams? I wouldn't call it upset, but I, I, I don't think the Yankees were going to go after Cueto. Um, I thought Casimir was a was a possibility. So you know the fact that they're both in the American League, they're they're both they're in the American League now. Casimir uh, just kind of moving teams um, is a little unsettling because Cueto is a good pitcher, and um, to have him in the American League now on that Kansas City team is uh, is definitely a little that makes them you know scarier for sure, especially in short series. Um, so. You know, I, I'm not. I'm definitely not upset about them that the Yankees didn't get either one of those guys. But um, I, I didn't see Kansas City actually getting Cueto. That was surprising to me. That definitely jumped out to me too because you had heard a lot of rumors that whoever was getting Cueto was going to also have to take on Brandon Phillips' contract. Right. Um, and I was worried the Yankees were going to do that if they got Cueto. I was like, oh great, here we go. We bringing in a aging second baseman with a big contract. And that would have probably meant Ref Snyder uh, out the door. Um, I'd like to think that they learned that they've learned their lesson in that, and and we're we've kind of turned the page. Um, and you know, honestly, the Yankees and and Cashman and those guys have really kind of stayed have stick to, uh, you know have stuck to that so far. Um, they're they're saying all the right things. They're definitely saying some of these guys are untouchable, um, and that they're not going to overextend themselves with bad contracts. So you know, I applaud them for that. Hopefully, they can do that and continue that up until Friday. Yeah, I mean, as a Yankees fan, I think you're less upset that the Yankees didn't get these guys and more upset that two teams who might be, you know, the Yankees are fighting for the pennant for got these guys. Yeah, because those are two um, playoff caliber teams, no doubt about it. So that makes them scary, especially with Kansas City's bullpen. Um, Houston's kind of a wild card at this point. You know, they can I'd like to see how they uh, finish the season out. Uh, They have a lot of young players. So I definitely want to see how they how they finish this season. But Kansas City is a legit, legit contender. Yep, absolutely. And a uh, couple more news uh, unrelated to trade deadline uh, going, you know, this week. So the Yankees have a few game, uh, four-game series upcoming against Texas, but they have not announced a starter for Tuesday yet. Uh, there's rumors it might be Chris Capuano, which just Mark loss in the, in, the, in the box score already, or uh, it could be a bullpen game combination. They could call somebody up. They could make a trade. But uh, one juicy rumor out there is that they might call Luis Severino up. Yeah, and they've denied it as well. People are denying it. People are going forward. So there's been a lot of definitely mixed signals on who's going to be up and if it's Severino or, you know, if it's someone else from AAA. Um, you know, I think I think it's going to be Capuano. It seems like that's that's who he's going to be. And then... You know, maybe get Capuano going uh, four or five innings and then release it into the bullpen. Warren can get a couple innings in there. I, I feel like it's going to be one of those for Joe. It might be ugly for Capuano. That that Texas team has some hitters. It's going to be hot and humid down there. The ball's going to be flying. That could be that could be a, a nine to eight ball game. It's like a sacrificial lamb. Go ahead, go ahead, Cap. 
Yeah. Just get out there. But um, yeah. So, but the you know the news in that is that they're they're giving days, um, you know, a couple an extra day rest for um, you know Pineda and Tanaka and the guys that you know they think really need it. So. Yeah, that's what they're saying. Do you think there's any they're covering up anything? Maybe they know there's a trade coming. Uh, I don't. I don't know necessarily if you can if you can really call that this far out. Um, but to tell you the truth, you know, Joe has been very, you know, open and, and talking about how he wants to give Pineda and he wants to give Tanaka, uh, you know, some extra rest throughout the season so that they are fresh late in the season and you know ready for a stretch run. So I think he's kind of sticking to his game plan with that. I think you know he's he's really doing what he said he was going to do and give them some extra rest here and there. Well, that hasn't really helped Pineda so far this year. Definitely has not helped Pineda. You know, every time he's come off of a, a longer rest or a different rest, he's been he's been bad. He's definitely been um, you know not as sharp. So, but it ha- I think it has helped Tanaka a little bit. So, and I think he's the prize. You know, right now they want to make sure that he stays and gets through this entire season healthy. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's the thing. Just just get through healthy and and you know enter the get into the tournament, which is the playoffs, healthy and and see what you got there. So. All right, let's get into some of these game recaps over the week. The Yankees had another good week, won both the series since the last time we talked, swept Baltimore, and then took two out of three from Minnesota, which, you know, I talk about that Saturday game, we'll get to it in a minute, but that's about as exciting a win as, you know, you, you can remember. Maybe that, that uh, Tampa Bay extra inning game when McCann hit the walk-off, but those two games stick out to me. But the Yankees are 55-42, and 42. With a six-game lead in the AL East, which is, it just keeps uh, growing and growing every week, which is unreal. Winning series, that's what we said early in the season, and that's what they've been doing. You keep winning series like they are, um, you know, two out of three every single time is, is going to get you uh, in a good place in the, the in the division. And we're seeing that now because that's what they keep doing, man. They just they just keep winning these series, and, and that's crucial. Yeah, I mean, right now we're looking at a team that has control. And they control their own destiny in the AL East, so got to keep winning. Uh, Tuesday versus Baltimore, they won 3-2. to two. Uh, This game was kind of frustrating if you're watching, because if you remember, they had a couple early runs off Wei-Yin Chen, and then really could not get anything off of him for the rest of the game. And they had uh, 11 hits, they went 1-for-10 with runners in scoring position, and they left 10 guys on base. So it was one of those games where you're just like, have a bad feeling in the back of your, you know, your stomach thinking the Orioles are just going to chip away. Yeah, and 1 for 10 uh, with runners in scoring position is obviously not good. It seems like it seems like these guys go in uh, in ebbs and flows with the runners in scoring position, you know, if they if they struggle, it seems like they all struggle in a game. Um so this was one of those games where they just couldn't get the big hit, uh but they were definitely getting a lot of hits off of uh, off of Wayne Chen, so and Evaldi pitched in this game Pretty much the same kind of start as he has been having the last couple weeks. Whereas, you know, five and two-thirds inning pitch, but uh, only two runs, but a ton of pitches, 99 pitches. I don't know how many times we can keep saying these starters have to go deeper in games, but um, I feel like a broken record with that. Right, and, you know, we'll obviously get to Avaldi's uh, start later in the week, which was today, um, which was a lot better. Uh, but, yeah, he's... You know, he's keeping everybody in game. So, you know, there's 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 a couple things you can say about him. And it's the same thing we've said every time. Like his biggest thing is is using those pitches effectively and and, you know, not throwing as many. Um, and I think really living off of that fastball and locating the breaking balls like his location is his bugaboo. If he's locating well, he is a dominant starter. Uh, but because he 
it doesn't locate. He throws a lot of pitches, and then he gets ousted early in games. But at least he is keeping the Yankees in games uh, by by keeping them off of the scoreboard. So definitely, which is something I guess you can't say for some of their other starters. <laughs> right. Uh, I'm not going to say who. I think you can figure it out. Uh, Wednesday versus Baltimore, another win, four to three. Nova was pretty solid in this game. He went a little bit deeper than Avaldi the night before. And um, the real standout to me in this game was that Shreve and, Shreve and Batances came in, looked absolutely unhittable, sort of killed any momentum Baltimore had, and then A-Rod tacked, in, tacked on a late-inning run, and uh, that was sort of it. Miller closed it out. Yeah, and you know that insurance run ended up being the go-ahead run because of the, the late home run. Um, by Chris Davis. So, you know, A-Rod's been coming up with some really big home runs, you know, late in the games, too. I mean, this it's it's unbelievable what he's doing. We, we keep saying that, but it really is. Um, so, yeah, that, that that insurance run ended up being the one, the run that they needed to win the game. So, um, it seems like they've been having a lot of close games. Yep. That, it's funny you say that because to that point, they had played um, five games since the All-Star break, and they were all one-run games. Yeah, that's crazy. It's a lot of stress on your bullpen. But it also builds a lot of character for a team because when you're coming out on the on the positive side of a one run game, I think that builds a lot of of momentum for a team, and you know it, it brings them through a, a tough a tough game and kind of makes them a little bit more battle tested. So you know I, I definitely like seeing them uh, pull out those games. Absolutely, because you're going to be playing close games in the playoffs, so you got to win those games. I mean, they went four and one in those games. <laughs> I think, you know, if they were 1-4 and four in those games, you could say, well, maybe this team isn't ready for the playoffs. But they seem to be winning those close games. So Yeah, 4-1 and one's a series win in the playoffs. And every game usually in the playoffs, I mean, you have a fluke here and there that, are, that you get your random blowout. But um, the majority of them are just high-intensity, you know, drama-filled, close games. Uh, so, yeah, you got to be ready for that stuff. And, and the fact that they are doing well in them is, is really good to see. The next day out, they completed the sweep of Baltimore. Um, we had gone into that series saying, you know, just win the series and you're pushing Baltimore deeper and deeper. But they ended up sweeping them, which was huge. Um, and it was a 9-3 win to knock a pitch really well. It was a blowout win, so he kind of gave up two late home runs in that game. So I'm not going to really put too much um, into those late home runs in the eighth inning. But what I did uh, want to mention is that in his since coming off the DL... He's made nine starts, and in those nine starts, he's given up 13 long balls, which is a really bad number. Yeah, it's definitely an alarming number. You want to keep an eye on it. Um, I agree with with you on this particular game. I, mean, I think those two late home runs are uh, – you don't really look at those because you know he's just trying to go around the plate, make them hit the ball, uh, let his defense do some work and get out of the game. Um, and when you have a lead like that, you, you, you want to be around the strike zone. So you know they, they were looking for, for whatever pitch and, and took them deep uh, a couple times, but – um, yeah, so I, you know, at the end of the day, you just got to keep an eye on that number. Uh, he's been pitching well, and and a lot of those have been solo shots too, uh, just from my memory. But yes. so they haven't really been backbreakers or really hurting him too badly. Um, so that that to me that means he's being more aggressive when there's nobody on base, which I I kind of like. Um, so uh, you know, you know, there's a couple ways to look at that, but it's definitely something to look at and keep an eye on. The only ones that I can remember of really. That they were big, you know, two, three run homers was that start in Houston a couple weeks back, where I think he gave up a three run bomb in that game. But other than that, you're right. It's been a lot of solo shots because he doesn't walk a lot of people and he does bear down when there's guys on base and, you know, makes, you know, gets a big strikeout or a big, you know, ground out or something. So 
I still think Tanaka has been pitching well. Uh, it's just something to look at. I mean, <laughs> you go into the playoffs and you're facing these great lineups. You don't want to be giving up a lot of home runs. Also, the fact you pitch in Yankee Stadium, which is probably one of the better home run hitting parks in the league. So, so just like we said, something to keep an eye on. Um, Headley, though, in this game, was the big got the big hit in the first inning. Uh, yep. Bases clearing double in the first inning after the Yankees had loaded the bases with nobody out and failed to get guys in. Uh, so two outs, Headley, big double to center field. Yeah, he absolutely bailed them out. They needed that hit. You know, that's that's a that's a backbreaker if you come into the dugout when you load the bases with no outs and don't come uh, come up with anything. Um, but he really uh, that was a huge hit. It was a huge hit, uh, and and really. You know, shows that they're 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 locked in two two uh, two outs, no big deal. Let's go, Headley, and Headley's been off. Headley's been really playing well lately, um, especially on the offensive side uh, with, with the bat. Yeah, I think you looked up some stats, right? Yeah. So this month, uh, the month of July, Headley's hitting, um, including today, over three thirty. Uh, today he had his first home run of the month, but ten RBIs and five doubles. So. You know, the kid's been been outstanding. He's definitely locked down third base a lot more. I think he he. He had a, a muffed ball today um, at, at third, where he could have had the runner at home, uh, but Gregory still had a put out, so I don't. It was not an error. Uh, but you know, overall, I think he's really you know cleaned up the third base play and, and kind of gone back to the guy that we thought we were getting. You know, as a as a really steady bat in the lineup and a uh, you know a solid glove in at third base. So you know, I he's he's turning out to be a very good free agent signing. Well, it's it's good to see because, uh, in my opinion, he was one of the biggest disappointments of the first half. Yeah, and um, if you can get him hitting, you know, he's not going to hit three thirty, but if he's hitting in the high two hundreds with a little bit of pop, you know, two eighty five, two ninety with some pop, that extends the lineup one through seven, um, and Didi also as well. So, you know, you're looking at a pretty good lineup. And, you know, Headley, just, he's always reminded me. I mean, I know he doesn't hit for average like Brocious did, but he reminds me of Scott Brocious in the sense that he just locks down third base. He's a very – he's a he's a ridiculous competitor. He comes up with some big hits. Um, and he's just a – I don't know. He's just like a solid guy to have on your team. And uh, he, to me, he draws, you know, Brocious comparisons. Now, Brocious hit for a higher average um, for, throughout his career. But, you know, Headley's kind of, kind of that guy, kind of a, just like, a, you know, a rock over at third base. Until Headley wins World Series MVP, I'm gonna hold off on the Scott Brocious comparisons. But hey, maybe maybe he'll he'll reel that trophy. In yeah, and again, I'm not direct you know directly comparing. It just kind of reminds me of, of yeah. that kind of guy. He's a gritty. He's I a gritty you. player. Never never your your centerpiece on a team, but definitely nice to have. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Yankees piled on on Thursday, which is good because also how many times have we talked about the Yankees come out with a couple first inning runs, um, and then do nothing the rest of the game. So it was good to see. Yep. Oh, and how's that? How's that panda contract looking? By the way, <laughs> just, yeah. Just so, just Red Sox fans up here in Boston are not happy with Panda. <laughs> I could have predicted that. Uh, I love it. I love it. We'll put the we'll put the Headley Panda um, contract and numbers somewhere so you can see him too and be happy. You'll smile when you see it. Um, Friday, sort of a, a, one of those games you just go home, forget about it, come out the next day. Ten-one blowout loss, and. <laughs> The last guy I think you want to see on the mound shutting, shoving the bats down your throat, Phil Hughes, shut you out. Yeah, Phil Hughes coming, coming back to the Yankees and just throwing seven innings. 
of uh, of some good ball. So you know, what are you going to do? It's a it's a game they they couldn't get on top of them. Um, and Phil Hughes pitched a good game. So that's that's two ex Yankee starters in the past month that have shut us down. Who was uh, the other one? Second guy was Phelps. It was when uh, we went to Miami and Avaldi and Phelps dueled and and he shut us down. So that's that makes two two Yankees. Uh, that have or two ex Yankees that have have come back to to bite us um, on the other on the opposing bump. Yeah, I mean it's one of those things, right? You want to always beat your your old teammates, and I think Phil Hughes has a little bitterness towards the Yankees and the Yankees fans. So, well, you know what, Phil, get over it because he gave you a <laughs> long time to to prove to what you were you were supposed to be the guy. You know, you were our you were our guy coming up through, and, and you you didn't pan out. Let's let's all be honest. He I mean, had an okay career with the Yankees. Yes, but Yankee Stadium just did not do him well. No, no. It's not Yankee Stadium was not a good place for him to pitch. Well, he's back to lead, he's leading the league in home runs given up this year. Well, good for him. I'm glad he's back on that stat. And Target Field is you know Yellowstone. Right. Yeah. No doubt. So they're longer. They're still hitting them out. They're getting <laughs> the, the trajectory is there. Uh, so the bad thing you you, you want to you know maybe we need to talk about from Friday is that Pineda got crushed. Uh, gave up a, a mammoth home run in the first inning to Miguel Sano. And then he was laboring the whole game. He was falling behind hitters, gave up a you know a lot of hits, um, five runs, uh, or five or six runs. I don't even remember what it was, but just really looked terrible. And you know we've we've seen this with him all year. It's like he he does really well for a few starts, and then he has a blow up. And it's not just like a really like a, a kind of a bad outing. It's a terrible outing. Um, and you know it's it's when he's not locating or he's not you know he's falling behind hitters and and um, he's just getting crushed. So. You know, I don't know what it is uh, with him, but it needs to um, not start. I, I need to see him actually, you know, laboring through these the, the bad starts, not getting crushed. Yeah, so uh, that reminds me of like a quote I remember Roger Clemens saying where he was. He said, you know, it's great to go out there and dominate for seven or eight innings, but his favorite starts were the ones where he had to battle from the first pitch when he knew he didn't have his best stuff. Right. And his job was to just give his team six innings and, you know, battle through it and hopefully get a – get a win or, or have the team pick you up late in games. That's what Clemens loved to do. So you would like to see a little bit more out of that from Pineda. Yeah, and when you're not locating your breaking balls and you're and, and because you're doing that, you're falling behind hitters, you're, you're in for a long day. Um, and, and that seems to be when he's not locating that slider, it seems like that's when he's really struggling. So, you know, I don't know what it is with him and not finding the consistency or he's not finding his arm slot or, you know, whatever it is. But, you know, I really he really needs to polish that up. Um, so he can fight through some of these bad starts. Definitely. Uh, speaking of bad starts, CC Sabathia started on Saturday. <laughs> you like that transition? That was a good one. Yeah, I like uh, that. <laughs> and uh, CC started on Saturday, gave up a two-run bomb in the first inning to Aaron Hicks, and then a three-run bomb to Torrey Hunter a couple innings later. And you're sitting there Saturday night at nine o'clock, and you're like, you know, the Yankees are on their way to a series loss. Because they just got blown out Friday, and they're down five zip Saturday, doing nothing with the bats, and then uh, everything changed. Um, and I think uh, we've got some audio we're going to play from A Rod before we get into it. A lot of people forget I, I entered the big leagues at 18 years old as Alex Rodriguez. Somewhere along the way, I made a left turn and became A Rod, and I'm back to being myself now. And uh, I'm having a lot of fun and really appreciating what the game has to offer and, and life has to offer. I mean, that is if that doesn't get you all warm and fuzzy inside, nothing will. That is that is a man, A Rod, that has or Alex because so we're not gonna call him A Rod anymore. 
Yeah, don't that is here. Alex, who who actually genuinely seems like he finally gets it. And I know we've said this on pretty much every podcast, but I saw that quote. Uh, he was on SportsCenter um, earlier this week, and I, it's just one of those things that stood out to me. Just, wow, I cannot believe A-Rod were sitting here July of 2015, and he's the centerpiece of this, this team right now. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, you know, I don't know how much more we can talk about, you know, him and, and how surprised we are because it's just it's an amazing feat what he's doing. Um, I guess A-Rod's out the door and Alex is back, the baseball player, the kid who enjoyed playing the game and did it for the love of the game. And, you know, you could just see the jubilation on his face in the dugout when some of these other guys, some of the younger guys um, start doing well. You know, he's like truly invested in some of the younger players on this team which is something that I think has gone unnoticed in, in a lot of ways. I think he's, he's being uh, more of a, a coach on the, on the bench as well, and he's really um, you know, giving these guys a lot of his uh, expertise on how to hit the ball um, and you know, just approach and things like that. So, yeah, good for him. I'm glad Alex is back. So I was so jazzed up Saturday night after the big win that um, I was listening to the WFAN postgame show, and Susan Waldman had A-Rod on. And she asked him, you know, what do you see in this team that's making you guys come back in all these games? And you seem like you've got a really good, you know, clubhouse chemistry and all that stuff. And he said that more than any other team he's ever played for, this is like a college team atmosphere. That they're all just getting along. There's some some veterans, some young guys. Yep. And he said about J.R. Murphy, John Ryan Murphy, he said, that's just one of our freshmen and we're happy for him. And it's just unbelievable to to hear him say that, like, I didn't expect that. Um, I don't know if anyone did. Yeah, but you've seen it all year. I mean, I think he's been helping Didi as well, and he's just you know trying to acclimate him into um, you know playing this obviously this huge role of shortstop in, for the New York Yankees after an icon. Um, so I think he has been a very calming presence. And then you know, <laughs> how much more clout do you do you need when you're Alex Rodriguez at 40 years old or almost 40 years old and producing the way you are? you know, after coming back and, and missing an entire season. So, you know, he's he's producing um, on and off the field in, in multiple ways. So, you know, he's been an, a, just a tremendous asset for this team. Yeah, he's like the Van Wilder of the college team, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's 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 going for it. And they're keeping him, they're keeping him in school. They're keeping uh, A-Rod on the team. Um, so, so, yeah, they like they like it and and I'm glad he I'm glad he's back to feeling good about playing baseball because that's that's when you do the best. That's when you're when you're loose and you're and you're playing it because you're playing it for the enjoyment of the game. To me, that's where this game um that's when you find your your best baseball. Back to actually what happened in the game. He hit a home run early in the game to get the Yankees on the board, which went into the third level of Target Field. Haven't seen something up there since the home run derby a couple years ago from Target Field. Then he had a two-run homer uh, in the sixth and then tied the game in the ninth inning off Glenn Perkins, who's the closer, uh, with another solo blast. So unreal performance. First time he's had three home runs, um, I think, in five years. Um, And then John Ryan Murphy got the three-run homer for the game winner. Um, Just one of the best team wins of the year. Yeah, and I was stuck on 95 in – Bumper to bumper traffic. Thank you so much for everybody rubbernecking for the broken down car. I really appreciate it. <laughs> I, I had a plan, you know, ready to to be at my uh, my hotel at like nine o'clock so I could catch you know the the middle of the game and, and watch the rest of it. And I didn't get back until the game was over. So um, I, I'd missed the entire thing and the signal was terrible, so I couldn't even listen to it. I was just and then I found out what happened. I was so yeah. 
great game. The highlights were amazing. I'm glad. I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad all that happened. And, and John Ryan Murphy with a huge home run, man. That's ice veins, ice in your veins, right there. The Yankees made Target Field look small this this series because every home run I feel like was just blasted, and it's not an easy park to hit home runs in. Well, that first A-Rod home run was, I think, tr- the third deck. I mean, that was a shot. 453 feet. Yeah, that was a shot. That was a, that was a, a mammoth home run. So, um, And then Murphy's home run was, what, right center field. So that was a, that was a tremendous, tremendous blast, man, to get him up. And, I mean, the timing on that, you, you, you can't beat it. So He was so it. juiced up, he forgot to touch home plate. Headley had to remind him to go back and touch home plate. I know, and he was doing the stare, like he was just doing the stare in the dugout. Yeah, like he knew he was just doing that stare as he rounded first, and then then third. It was awesome, and it does. They, they act, they're acting like a college team. It's fun to watch. Um, so that college team also won on Sunday, seven to two win, and Evaldi finally, finally, finally got deep into a game. We I don't know how many times we've said this. Please pitch deeper into games, Evaldi. But he finally got it done today. And he was ahead of hitters, and that's why he was able to pitch deep into the game because he was able to mix in his curveball and splitter out of the strike zone and get it for swings and misses versus trying to throw it for strikes all the time and having to get hit for singles up the middle. You know, when you throw 98, 99 miles an hour and you're locating your pitches, you're going to be filthy and you're going to see a lot more of this. So good for him. Good for him making those adjustments. You know, hopefully he can build off of something like this. And it's not like he's been bad before, you know. He's just... He needs to make these adjustments to get deeper into the games because the the way, he's got the wins right. What is it? that was his tenth win? Yeah, um, and best record on the team. That's right. So so he's he's keeping the Yankees in games. That's that's what's happening. Thankfully, we have a, a bullpen that has you know kept those those leads and given him the wins. But you know if he could start. And and he has been progressing. He absolutely has been progressing. Well, the in my reason opinion. he frustrates me is because I know he has the potential to do what he did today, and he just doesn't do it most of the time. Right. So, you know, this is a good start. Let's um, let's see what he can do from here. I mean, I'm I'm very happy with with uh, the addition of Avaldi. I really am. You know, with him, what three three or four starter? That's a great that's a great guy to have there. Definitely, definitely. Offense broke out in the sixth inning with six runs, and that was it for the game. Um, Wilson had a little bit of a hiccup in the ninth inning. Batances had to come in and finish the game. And I feel like that's happened a bunch this year where the Yankees have tried to get Miller and Batances days off, and the other guys in the pen just can't do it. But uh, whatever. I'm not going to focus on the negative. I'm going to focus on the positive. Turn over a new leaf. (laughs) It's one uh, of those mindset things, too. You know, I I think a lot of times uh, relievers struggle if there's too much of a – um, too much of a buffer sometimes because they they get a little too cute and or they you know they're just staying too much over the strike zone and not pitching their normal game. Um, so I don't know. I, I think it's kind of a mental thing with these guys. They need to just make sure that they they they, they assess the situation as a one run game and go in there and throw. Um, but yeah, we have seen it a few times. So upcoming, they're in the middle of a ten game road trip. They've got four at Texas and then four or excuse me three at the White Sox. Um, so. Kind of a tough stretch of road games here, and the Yankees will face Chris Sale, just in case anyone was wondering. He's absolutely filthy, maybe the best, uh, one of the best pitchers in the game, so that should be fun. But uh, tough, tough stretch this week. Yeah, and we got some payback uh, for Texas because they swept us at Yankee Stadium. Yep. Um, yep. So we we got some uh, we got some business to take care of down there, and you know give it back to them. So uh, you know it's a good time for us to play them. The Yankees are playing good baseball, and uh, you know let's let's hopefully we can get a series win. Um, and also this week, it's going to be a real busy week because the trade deadline's on Friday at 4 p.m. 
Uh, Yankees have not made a move yet. Um, I know Cashman has said they're not going to do anything major. Uh, we don't know what that means because Cashman said that in the past and then gone out and traded for guys. But what do you think when we're sitting here uh, at 4 p.m. on Friday, what do you think the Yankees will have done? I see right-handed pitching in the bullpen. That's what I see. Uh, and possibly a, a back-end starter like Mike Leak. I'll, I'll stick to my, uh, my prediction with Mike Leak. Um, as one of the guys, but um, you know, I think it's uh, a Tyler Clippard is a possibility uh, from Oakland. I would you know, love Oakland. that. I would really yeah, love I mean that. that's a great one. I and mean, we talked about him before. I think he was one of your guys that you had mentioned. Yep. Um, you know, he's got experience pitching in Yankee Stadium. He he came up with the Yankees, um, and he's been very good. And he's a you know he's a he's a power arm out of the on a power right-handed arm uh, that has uh, experience closing too. I mean, he was a closer for the Nationals uh, for a little while as and well. So also the reason why I would like a guy like Clippard is because he wouldn't come in and be the closer. Miller would still be the closer. Betances would probably still be the eighth-inning guy. I don't want to mess with any of that, but Clippard would come in and be the seventh-inning guy, and you mix in Shreve Wilson and Miller, or excuse me, and Warren. I mean, that's just absolutely filth up and down, so I think that would be a great pickup. Yeah, and then Chris Capuano can be off the team too. So Thank God. <laughs> There's a couple things in there that we could do. Uh, but no, but that's nasty. That's a lot of that's a lot of experienced arms and a lot of um, to me a lot of guys that Girardi can trust in the back of the bullpen. Yeah, I absolutely see them going after a guy like that and not a big splash. I mean, we already saw Casimir and Cueto, so those are two of the big fish down. I, there's no chance they're going to be in on David Price, and I no. think there's a very very slim chance they're going to be in on Cole Hamels, especially now because the Phillies are at probably after the no hitter that Hamels pitch going to be asking for every one of the team's prospects that they're going to trade him to yeah he, i mean the timing could not have been <laughs> unreal the right Phillies. yeah so yeah they're, they're definitely going to be you know going for the the bank but at the same time like they need to finally make some trades you know what i mean like they, they've delayed and delayed um but i know the dodgers have been talking about it the dodgers seem like they have uh the the pieces to make that trade which is kind of scary on the national league side yeah that would be scary if the dodgers picked up a guy like hamels or david price um and <laughs> Um, we just saw the Dodgers kind of get roughed up in, in City Field, which is kind of funny because the Mets don't have an offense. But, yeah, I mean, you're looking at a three-headed monster there if they can get a guy, another guy in that rotation. And, you know, part of me – so, like, the Dodgers have always been, like, my like, like a second team that I'll follow just because I used to be in Vero Beach for spring training all the time and watch them uh, when I was a kid. So they're always, like, the, the second team I always kind of keep an eye on. But you know what? They really betrayed me when they went out and, and – uh, bailed out Boston you know, with all those players. So, you know, part of me really does not want to see them succeed with those guys on their team. Um, but, but yeah, that, that's a filthy, you know, having Kershaw, um, Greinke, and then, uh, you know, a guy like Price or uh, Cole Hamels, that's nasty. That's, that's, that's built for the playoffs. Definitely. And I think they definitely are a little concerned maybe with Kershaw in the playoffs. I know I would be because he's been rough the last few years. Yeah, I mean, he just hasn't shown that he can do it. But I mean, I th- I feel like he's one of those guys that, yeah, he's just gonna. He's too good to to be bad as long as he, you know, in the playoffs for you know an extended period. Like it's gonna click at some point, and I think he's gonna be dominant. So I don't know. I I don't get too worried about that um, that kind of stuff because I feel like the talent will will overcome. And it's not like he's like a, I don't know. He doesn't come across as a guy that gets flustered either. To me, yeah, some guys just can't handle the big stage. All right, so as we mentioned earlier, we're going to look to have a podcast later in the week for the trade deadline special. So uh, hopefully we'll be doing that on Friday, and hopefully we can talk about some of the moves the Yankees might have made. 
Yeah, and and real quick, uh, interesting note. I actually just got a text message about this too. But um, uh, one of our guys is in the uh, clubhouse of Trenton Thunder, and uh, they uh, last week or this past week, one of the Oakland Athletics uh, director of personnel, uh, one of their guys was in the clubhouse looking at some players too. So keep an eye on them. Um, that that could be a move for for someone, um, possibly a Renda or, or you know a couple other players at um, at Double A. But you know that to me that 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 says. Tyler Clippard. Um, yeah, I mean, possibly, possibly Zobrist. It's not Scott Casimir. It's not Casimir. Yeah, so it's it's a it's a Clippard or a Zobrist or a guy like that. So, um, you know, my feelings on Zobrist, I don't really want to see him here because I feel like the Yankees need to to bring up Ref Snyder and keep him up. Um, but if they're not going to do it, you know, we need to we need to upgrade uh, second base one way or another. So if they're if they're dead set on keeping Ref Snyder in the minors, then maybe it's not a bad move. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see. It's going to be a fun week. So I think we have some uh, mailbags to get into. Yeah, we have a couple of them. And the first one's actually something that we really haven't talked about. Um, but I, I know Andrew and I, you know, after the Yankee season, we're going to keep the we're going to keep the show going every single week. And we're going to mix in a lot more things than Yankee baseball just because of the offseason. Um, but we're going to talk a lot of fantasy and, and just different things that are going on. So this one's actually about baseball uh, fantasy uh, pertaining to the Yankees. And it's from Rudy, Rudy G. He's at at RudeDog71 on Twitter. He says, hi from Texas. Really enjoy your podcast. Thanks, Rudy. Appreciate that. I play fantasy, but am uh, also a diehard Yankee fan uh, that I let it affect my lineups. For example, I have no Red Sox on my teams, and I feel guilty when I start someone that is playing against the Bombers like Yin Chen uh, tonight against Evaldi. How do you guys deal with your pinstripe pride versus your fantasy lineups? Well, Rudy, it's a good route not putting any Red Sox in your lineup this year because they blow. Yep, yep, that's definitely a good move this year for sure. And as um, far as fantasy baseball goes, I actually don't play fantasy baseball. I never really got into it. Uh, it's funny because I'm one of the biggest diehard baseball fans you're ever going to come across. But the fantasy angle of it never really appealed to me. So you could probably speak to this more. So one of the downsides of fantasy sports, in my opinion, is that you become a whore. <laughs> you, you start liking everybody on your team, no matter who they play for, because you got to win. And usually when you're in a fantasy league, it's against your buddies. So like to me, like allegiances for fantasy, um, they just they, – maybe I'll, I'll sway a little bit. But I really try to keep emotions out of it when I'm doing this. And I am the Bronx Pinstripes Fantasy League champion three years in a row. I mean, these guys are trying to give me a run for the money. All the writers on Bronx Pinstripes, but it hasn't happened. They maybe they um, just suck. Now I don't I don't like to say that because um, that would take away from my championships. <laughs> but no, we'll see. You know, so I I, I see what you're saying. Um, I I don't do that. You know, if it, if it's a player that fits what I need, uh, I'll go after him. Um, but I don't necessarily root for the player. I think I do that more in fantasy football just because it's yeah. because it's one week, you know. But baseball, there's just so many games, you know. I don't know, like one one game doesn't really make make or break your week. So um, I see what you're saying, man. But I would honestly, if you're trying to uh, win your league, you got to take emotions out of it. That's a, that's a big thing, and it's uh, you gotta you gotta exercise that discipline. So I will say this though, uh, if you ever bet on sports, which I've done a little bit, not nothing crazy, but I right. never bet on the Yankees. Me either. I, I don't even touch baseball, but I will never bet uh, when I'm emotionally invested in the in the team. I do the exact same thing because if I win, then uh, you know I'm happy. But if I lose, it's like detrimental. Like yeah. I, I hate them at that point. Like because I it's I don't ever bet on baseball either, but I will. I'll 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 lay some money on football. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a Jets fan, so it's it's pretty brutal. 
you know, the, the, the bets that you can get. And uh, and then I just start getting so angry because I'm already an angry Jets fan in the first place. It just makes me more angry. So I don't do it anymore. Pro, pro tip out there for everyone, never bet on the Jets. Yeah, we'll see what happens this year. We'll see. Yeah, I can't wait. All right, I think we got another mailbag, right? Yep, this, uh, uh, two this week. Uh, this one is from Leanne. Leanne and, she, and she's at Leanne B. Miller on Twitter. And it's just pretty simple. It's any worries, their lead will help or will let them relax. Um, the Yankees uh, talking about their, you know, their extended lead in the AL East. That's a good question. Um, and I think it ties into a question I wanted to ask you overall. So uh, first, let's get to Leanne's question. Do you think they'll relax now that they have a six-game lead in the division? Absolutely not. I think this team is going to put their put their foots down on the throats and just keep going, man. I think they're the chemistry is too good in that clubhouse. They have, um, you know, they're really working together. They have a lot of complementary players. Uh, the pitching's there. They're not going to. I think the pitching, the pitching that we have, I, I believe, really just like takes away long losing streaks um, because I think we have two guys at the top can really end them at any point. So um, I don't see that happening. I really don't. I agree. So, so here's the question I wanted to ask you: Have your expectations for this team changed at all now that they're we're almost in August and they're first in the division by a healthy margin? You know, think back to spring training and early in the season, uh, what your expectations were for them then and what they are now. Have they changed? Slightly, um, but not much. Because, uh, you know, going back to our predictions, I predicted them losing in the ALCS. Uh, I predicted them winning the AL East. And I, I, I think I, I forget it was the Royals maybe. Um, or it might have even been the Mariners, which I was wrong on. But I, I think I predicted them losing in the ALCS as, as my final prediction. But um, so, yeah, so slightly they have. Because I think, you know, one of the reasons I thought they were going to do well this year and have, uh, you know, and win the AL East was because of the, the top tier talent that they have. And that top-tier talent has become even better than I expected. I mean, these guys are, are performing better than I expected. And I actually think the best is still to come from our pitching staff. Um, I don't think we've seen the best of our pitching staff yet. So the fact that, that, that we're producing you know, at, with, with su- at such a high level on offense um, and that we have not seen the best uh, from our, our starting pitching, I think leads me to, at, at this point now, I, I truly and fully believe that we could win the World Series this year. So, yes, they have, they have changed. Oh, I mean, I definitely think this team is on a short list of teams that could win the World Series this year. They're not the favorite by any means, but maybe they're fourth or fifth uh, when you're talking about all of baseball. But for me, my expectations have totally changed. Right. I was hoping, thinking maybe they'll compete for a wild card spot. And if they make the playoffs, that's how they were going to get in. They did not have the firepower to win the division. And now we're sitting here. If they don't win this division, I mean, that's a huge collapse is really what it is. So they need to win a round in the playoffs. And anything less than that, I think, is kind of a disappointment. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think there's some really good mojo going on in the Bronx right now. I think we're going to have some exciting um, late-season baseball in the Bronx, in New York. I mean, honestly, I, I kind of hope the Mets do well on that side so we have it on both sides because it's, it's just fun to watch. And it's fun to see the city light up like that. So, you know, I, I think this team is – is perfectly balanced with young players and veterans, kind of like we were talking about before. Um, how, how you know Rodriguez was talking about how um, John Ryan Murphy was just one of the freshmen coming in and and, and doing well. And I love that dynamic. That's such a cool dynamic. Um, and with the amount of talent they have in the AAA, who can help later in the season, 
I, I think it's you know I really think this team is poised to to really do well and go deep in the in the playoffs. It's a great point, and um, this comparison might you know rub some people the wrong way, but I actually see some similarities as far as team chemistry on this Yankees team to that 2013 Red Sox team, where it was sort of like a a team you didn't expect to do much, but have just sort of all hit you know on their on their peak of possibilities and sort of all gelling together. So I, I, I like their chances. Yeah. I mean, and, well, the, the difference is, is that we have like g- giant names that, that, you know, have the capability of doing well, like the talent was there. Um, and you know, I, the chemi- I did not expect them to gel like this. That's no, what's that's so what surprising to me. Yeah. yeah. That's definitely what's surprising to me is the fact that they're gelling like this and the fact that, you know, some of these guys are really stepping up. And I think it's because, you know, let's let's look at this. If A-Rod and Teixeira were not having good seasons and they were being mediocre, they wouldn't be taking on these leadership roles more than likely. They wouldn't be as involved with the younger players. But the fact that they're doing well and succeeding is actually attributing to them – um, you know, really helping these other guys out and giving them more of a of a platform. Oh, I think so. 1, it's, it's a huge, yeah, it's a huge deal, and it, and it really helps the team in two different ways. Yeah, you can't you can't be a bum on the field and lead a clubhouse. It's just it does not work. Um, you need to be performing on the field in order to lead in the clubhouse, and both those guys are McCann is. McCann is um, definitely and Gardner. Gardner's Gardner. really stepped up. I mean, Gar- and Gardner keeps the clubhouse very loose. That's a that's a dynamic that he brings to this table, um, to this team. And you know, they're they don't have the big distractions of the the farewells that they've had in the past. So this team that's is kind of point. playing with house money at this point. You know what I mean? They're like, you know, this is this is kind of a new deal. Like A Rod's here, I know, but he's kind of a different guy at this point. But he's actually not. He's playing like he's 25 years old but you know they're they're playing like you know this is our team this is our new team um like you said mccann i think is stepping up in that leadership capacity um guardy is really taking this on um you know as the guy from from uh the farm system to lead the team and it's awesome to see it's so much fun to watch so uh, something i saw tweeted the other day is that the yankees have their lowest attendance uh, average game in like three seasons and um, and you look at it, it's like they their teams have been pretty bad the last two years, and they're good this year. Why aren't people going to the games? It's because there's no farewell tours, right? Well, I want to put out a memo to all Yankee fans: go to the games because this is the best team we've had since probably 2012. And you know we don't know how much longer with these guys who are aging, you know next season and in the next few seasons if we're gonna get this again. So embrace this team because it's the best we've had in a while. No doubt about it, and I think that stadium is going to be rocking come uh, you know come August September because we're going to be we're going to be right there um, in the thick of everything. So I, I fully expect that. And you're right. I mean, you really can't downplay how much uh, Mariano Rivera and Derek Jeter meant to the, to New York fan to New Yorkers and to Yankee fans, um, and, and you know how much their farewell tour brought people to the stadium because people wanted to see them one last time. So. Um, yeah, now we're now we're playing baseball, and it's all about baseball, and it's about the Yankees winning championships, and uh, and it's good to, it's good to see a team that's that's capable of doing that again. I love it. I love it. On that note, uh, I think we're gonna end it for this week, and we'll talk to you later at the trade Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show. We'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. 
We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it, and go Yankees.